If we were to see you physically with our eyes, we would be, we would be undone. We would fall down in utter awe, reverence, and worship of you, Lord, and that is what you deserve. So I pray that that's at least the posture of our hearts tonight. As we hear your word, Father, help us to, to be encouraged by it, to be refreshed by it, but also, Lord, to be challenged and convicted by it, if that is your will as well. We thank you, God, for tonight again, for this time, and we pray now as your word goes out. Honor your name, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Psalms chapter 5. This is where we will be tonight. And again, it's another psalm written by David. And um, again, uh, the thing that continues to stand out to me is David's perspective on life. It continues to be just filled with the knowledge of the presence of God in his life. I mean, it's for the believer, I can't really emphasize to everybody enough the importance of viewing life as being lived out in relationship, covenant relationship with God where he is present and he is active and working in it. And if you do, and when you live that way, it changes everything. And it changes everything for David. We see over and over again the... You know, he's constantly in some sort of trouble. There's some sort of pressure. There's something going on in his life. And the, you know, one of the things that we can fall into, the traps we can fall into in going through the Psalms as we are, is that we begin to think that they're repetitive in nature. And we go, oh, okay, I've seen this before. David, David cries out to the Lord. David acknowledges the Lord. The Lord shows up. David is good. The end. Move on. And a lot of them do have that element to them. But I think that the repetition is good for us. They say repetition is the mother of all learning, right? And so it's good to remember and to have um, these things repeated to us of the reality of the hardship of life. But in the midst of it, we live in covenant relationship with God. The God of the universe is with us and he's working. And that helps reorient us towards that which is good and real and true and right, towards him. And we see that again in our psalm tonight in Psalm 5. So I'm going to read through Psalm 5 in its entirety and then just draw out a few things that I think are helpful for us that we see in the text. To the choir master for the flutes, a psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast level, enter your house. I will bow down towards your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. 
Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels because of the abundance of their transgressions. Cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. And spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. I think this is just a beautiful song where you see David again acknowledging the hardship that's going on in, again in this psalm as it was in Psalm 4. It's through the language, through the speech of one who, his adversary who's against him, but always keeping God in mind. Honest and open in his prayer and his cry to God when life is hard and difficult, he turns to God. The believer, we should do that. We we live in covenant relationship with God the way that David lived in covenant relationship, only now we see God more clearly because of we live on this side of the cross, the person and the work of Jesus Christ. David is still looking forward to that which is to come. We get the opportunity to look back and we see everything that has been fulfilled for us already in Christ. It's, he, when he proclaimed it is finished, he finished his work, and, and so we are sure of the salvation that we have in him. And so we should be able to relate to the confidence that the psalmist writes and proclaims as well and, um, and understand that God is active and at work in our lives, just as it is as he's working in David. One of the things that I think about, you know, is that here you have David, you know, this mighty king, and yet he knows his place. He sees his place before God. There's not, there's not an air of, you know, pomp. There's not an air of arrogance. It's just humility of acknowledging who God is and his need for God. No matter, you know, no matter how low you get, no matter how high you get, the need for God is always there. We're always dependent upon him. And David understands the importance of prioritizing your day, if you will, with um, Setting your eyes upon God first. I mean, if you don't, my encouragement would be that if you don't begin your day every day with setting your eyes upon God, um, then you are doing yourself a great disservice because in him lies the source of hope and the source of strength and salvation. We look to him constantly. You'll, we'll see that in the Psalms of looking to the Lord. And so we see that here in Psalm 5, verses 1 through 3. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Have you ever been in a situation in life where you're just groaning because of how difficult it is? You just don't know what to say. It's just like all you can do is moan and groan because of how difficult and how heavy and the weight of the circumstances of life can be. And David acknowledges that. He sees that. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. God is the one that he's calling out to, Jehovah. The one who he personally knows. And he expects for God to bend his ear to him, which is, which is in and of itself remarkable, right? That the God of all of creation listens to the prayer of you and your cry and your heartache and he and he hears and he cares of what it is that it we are crying out to him about he says in verse three, O lord in the morning you hear my voice it's just this confidence you do hear i cry out i groan 
and you hear my voice. In the morning, I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. Now that's the hard part, right? It's the watching. It's the waiting. Lord, I'm crying out to you. I'm groaning. I know you hear. And now I'm in a position of waiting and watching. When will you respond? And what will your answer be? And that's really the most difficult part for the believers. Sometimes it's not knowing whether or not God cares. We know he cares. It's not knowing whether or not he hears. We know he hears. It's the expectation of not knowing when he's actually going to respond to us. And we have to remember that the Lord is not slack or slow concerning any of his promises, but that he fulfills each one in its proper time. And so we too, like David, need to learn to wait. We prepare our sacrifice to him, we come before him, we lay out our plea, and we watch. And we wait upon him. Then he again acknowledges, verses 4 through 6, God's character. God, I know you're not a God who delights in wickedness, and evil may not dwell with you. The boastful cannot stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. You abhor the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. I mean, again, this is hard language. We say, you've, heard it, you've probably heard it said that God hates the sin but loves the sinner. And that's just partially true, because when you read a passage like this, you see that God hates the sinner too. There's no other way around it than to see that the language that David uses, he knows God so well that he knows that God does not delight in wickedness. And part of this is relating to what it is that he's going through. He knows he's suffering at the hands of the wicked and the bloodthirsty men. He knows God hates it, but yet God's not responding yet. And so he's still watching. He's still waiting. And so what does he do? While he watches and waits, he reminds himself what is true about God. Just because your hand has seen fit to allow me to, to, to continue to experience trouble and suffering at the hands of those that are wicked doesn't mean that you're not at work. It doesn't mean that you don't care. It doesn't mean that you've stopped listening. It just means that his timing is not yet. And that's what we need to do as well. Continue to remind ourselves of the character of God. God is holy. He is righteous. He is perfect in every way. And so we wait upon him. And those things help us to wait, to, to wait well and to suffer well. Scripture is, you know, scripture is full of ways to help us suffer well. And one of those ways is reminding ourselves of who God is and his character. He does not delight in wickedness. Evil cannot dwell with him. He hates all evildoers. He destroys those who speak lies. And the Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. And there is coming a day when all of that stuff will be fully and finally done away with. But in the meantime, we wait. And we still act the way that God would want us to. David then, in 7 and 8, is mindful of where his assurance and hope come from. Right, God is this way towards the wicked in 4 through 6, and then 7 through 8, but I, it's kind of like the, the, the but God in Ephesians 2, 4, but God being rich in mercy. But I, through the abundance of my goodness, my obedience, 
My good works? No. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter into your house. I don't know what that is going to look like exactly when Christ returns to enter into the courts of the king, into his house, so to speak, but it's going to be better than anything I can imagine. It is going to be far more superior to anything than anything we've ever seen here. And it just, when you think about it, it's, it, the design is to elevate your heart and your thinking towards that which is most glorious, most wonderful, most satisfying, which we will get to enjoy and receive forever, for all of eternity. And it's all done because of the steadfast love of God. Because he loves his people enough to save us and to carry us and preserve us all the way home until he opens the doors and we get to go in and be with him forever. One thing I've asked of the Lord and that would I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of my days to gaze upon his beauty and to seek him in his temple. Psalm 27.4. I mean, that's the heart cry of the believer who desires to be in the house of the Lord. And it's all done by his steadfast love. He initiates it, he sustains it, and he completes it for us. I will bow down to your holy temple, and then it's just language of worship, bowing down towards you in the fear of you. Again, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. I want to walk on the narrow path that's pleasing to you all of my days until that final day. I'm going to do what's right in your eyes and to live in a way that's honoring and pleasing to you above all others. Paul would talk in his letters all the time about it doesn't, I don't care what other people think of me. I don't even care what I think of myself. The only thing that matters is what God thinks of me. And that's what we should think, what it is that God thinks of us and do what's right in his eyes and pray that he would help us to lead us. And then he's back again towards those who are uh, making his life difficult in 9 and 10. There's no truth in their mouth. And this is really where you see the depth of their, their wickedness. For there's no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their inmost self is destruction. They are destroyers. They seek destruction. They seek division. They seek to tear down instead of build up and encourage. They express it through their words, right? Their throat is an open grave. There's people just when they talk, there's nothing but death that comes out of their mouth. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the problem is not just with the words that they're saying. It's not just that they need to clean up their language. It's that they need a heart renewal. They need regeneration. They need a new life. They need a new heart. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. Ultimately, any time a believer suffers at the hands of the unrighteous or the evil, the unbeliever, it's always also and ultimately in rebellion to God. But he ends us with a word of hope 
but let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Right? Even in the midst of hardship, the believer nestles themselves into the character and the love of God for them. Let all who take refuge. And that's, I mean, do, do you really take refuge in God? You know, do you hide in him? Do you find him as being your strong tower, your refuge, or just a place where you go for a minute to feel better, and then you're back to your, you know, whatever it is that you want to do? Are you constantly seeking to find refuge? You're, you're, you're going to live and find help and protection in him. Let all those who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. And this is why singing for the believers, just, it, it's just so natural to sing unto the Lord. It's an expression of worship. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them. Reminds me of Psalm 91 where it talks about God being um, on his pinions and gathering his people you know, under his feathers and protecting them and holding them. And just the way that God so wonderfully and tenderly cares for his people. You spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. And for the believer, we know that we are the righteous because we've been given the righteousness of Christ. And because of that, he covers us with his favor like a shield. And know that God favors his people. If you're a believer, you have the favor of God working in your life. This is how the believer can say, all things work together for my good. Because the favor of God is always being dispensed out and upon me. And that is just grounds for worship. That's grounds for singing. That's grounds for exalting and exalting God. And so um, I'm praying that that helps us in our heart to be able to do so authentically and to be able to do so day in day in and day out and at least over the next few days until we meet again on Sunday, which hopefully will be another time of encouragement and worship for the Lord's people. I'm going to close us in prayer. We're going to sing one more song together, and um, then I'll pray for the, for the night for the night for us. Father, we, um, your intent really is for your people to believe what you've said. And at times, I think that we, we look at your word and we see the wonder in it. And we know, we ask ourselves the question, could it truly be that God is like this? And the answer is yes, because you intend for us to know who you are. That's why you've given us your word. I pray that you would help us to embrace it. I pray, pray that you would help us to apply it, to see it, to think it. May we, um, every morning, Lord, begin our day looking to you and watching and waiting to see what it is that you might do and um, expecting for you to be consistent with the truth of your word. And looking to you, Lord, we would have grounds for singing and worship. So we thank you, Lord, for our time together and for your word. And we, we sing unto you now. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.